Hello, I'm Charlie Zazera and welcome to the Coach's Voice CV Spaces podcast. Each week on a Monday at 5.30, we're joined by two highly qualified coaches live on Twitter Spaces. That's where we dissect one of the most interesting tactical points from the weekend's action, as well as sharing coaching advice and insights with our audience. This week, we're joined by Kingsling Town Assistant Manager Hugo Langton and UEFA Licensed Coach Gerard Jones to discuss Liverpool versus Everton and coaching beating a low block. I'm delighted to welcome back Gerard Jones. How are you, mate? What have you been up to recently? Yeah, really looking forward to tonight. Obviously, it was a great game to watch and look forward to chatting with Hugo um, and obviously everyone listening. Just been busy with, uh, obviously, coach education, PhD. Uh, obviously, I'm in the, the US now, so I'm working for MLS uh, Sport in Kansas City as the club's director of coaching. And, uh, yeah, just keeping busy on uh, loads of different things, which is good. Good stuff. What time is it over there? Uh, 11.30. Oh, not too bad, sir. Good stuff. All right. I'm looking forward to getting the conversation as well, mate. Um, but I'm also excited to welcome <clears throat> to CV Spaces uh, the Kings Lynn Town Assistant Manager, Hugo Langton. How are you, Hugo? Yeah, all good, mate. Not bad at all. How are you? Everything okay? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, do you want to quickly give us a bit of... A breakdown on your background and how you got into coaching? Oh, wow, right. Um, I had to stop playing when I was 21, um, although I could play once a week. So I was playing just like whatever games I could find once a week. And I, and I met somebody um, who used to play for Charlton called Leroy Ambrose, and he encouraged me to become a coach. So I started off actually with uh, under 11 girls, then I went to under 15 boys, then I went to Gillingham ladies, then I went in right at the bottom of non-league. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to earn my stripes and see how far I can go. And here I am now. No, brilliant. It's great to see going through all the, all the age groups and women's football as well, so fair play, mate. Okay, let's get into the conversation. Uh, we'll start with you, Gerard. What did you make of yesterday's Merseyside derby? Yeah, absolutely fantastic game to watch because, you know, especially at that level, there's always those little moments of cat and mouse, right? Where people are trying to second guess each other and what have you. But typically, I would say great understanding, uh, detail, planning the strategy. You could clearly see that Everton had a, a game plan of what they wanted to work on. Um, you know, the, their defensive strategy to defending a low block remain really compact, narrow, you know, for the most part, to be fair, it did work. You know, they made it very difficult for Liverpool to find many successful opportunities where they played through them. You know, so Liverpool were typically forced to play around the block and constantly having to move the ball sideways and trying to get around the outside in order to potentially go centrally. And I think the defensive discipline was very good. The challenge becoming, and I know we'll unpack it later, is that, you know, when they're in that sort of, again, it, it varies in animation, of course, but like a one four five one, or at times it might be similar to a one four four two, or a, or a four one four one, or whatever, it will change and it should change. You know, and I thought um, Decore and, and, and uh, other players were, were very intelligent in pressing and dropping back into the slot when they needed to, 
Um, typically, you'd see sort of, you know, Thiago and, and players basically coming, uh, trying to drop in their angles, you know, Fabinho and what have you. And everything was sort of in front of the block. It was very difficult for Liverpool to be able to, to play. And then obviously the substitutes, which I know we'll touch on later, having the impact and changing the game the way they did, you know, in the second half, which is, is grace. Everton's challenge was that because they were so deep and, you know, they had uh, Richarlson as, as their sort of outlet at times. It was their sort of number nine. He was disciplined in, in, in his pressing distances and how far and wide he could go. But again, when they win the ball, it was very difficult for them to be able to project a counter-attack. You know, they may have had a couple of, you know, one-off episodic counter-attacks, but typically Liverpool were very good at stopping them, which you saw in a lot of their frustration, um, whether it was committing a foul or or preventing them from playing forward. And if and when they, Everton ever did get forward, they haven't really got the numbers to, to exploit Liverpool. So it became very difficult. But overall, great game. You know, and looking forward to unpacking it in more detail. Yeah, it was a good game. I really enjoyed it tactically. But Hugo, what did you think of Frank Lampard's game plan? Graham Souness after the game kind of was criticising it and said Everton didn't come to play. But what did you think? Well, it was two very different styles of playing uh, for for two different reasons. You know, um, one football club's up one end of the table, and, and the other's fighting for its life down the other end. And but from where I from where I was sitting, it looked to me like First and foremost, Everton wanted to get to half time with a zero against um, against Liverpool's name. They came in to slow the game down. They looked for free kicks, whether that was whether they could uh, get a shot off or you know set play in, in, for them, or they, they actually gave away some free kicks. I think just to disrupt Liverpool a little bit. I think they wanted to get the crowd restless. Um, you know, Gerard mentioned about you know the. I had to look up what I didn't look up. I had to think about what a low block was because it's not it's not a term that I use often I, I have you know I think it's a bit of a loose term but clear Gerard's kind of cleared it up a little bit it's just restricting space horizontally and vertically I think with Liverpool as well because they like to sort of get the ball forward and, and create an exploit space in behind back lines Everton just denied them the, the, the chances to do that one thing I thought Everton did really well actually was when they did get, when Liverpool did get the ball into wide areas in the final third, for example, into Salah, Everton were very, very good at overloading, as it were, defensively. So if it's Salah, there was always two. If it was Salah plus one, there was three Everton players, and I thought they were very, very good at that. And the other thing that stuck out to me a little bit is that I thought Everton started a few fights. Um, you know, a little bit of uh, you know the darker arts, perhaps. Um, I think they were quite happy to sort of start a row, as it were. Possibly because it disrupts um, Liverpool getting into the the attacking rhythm that they might want to be, but also because it messes with with people's brain states or their thinking. That's how I look at some of these things, anyway. Yeah, no, I thought you got it spot on. It, 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 it was mentioned in commentary, but it did remind me of that uh, infamous Jose Mourinho performance at Anfield. Um, Definitely, I, Gerard... I, I thought about this as well because. Marine, you were talking about the, the Liverpool Chelsea game, are you the one where Gerard slipped and Chelsea yeah, won yeah, the game? 20, 2014 yeah, and Liverpool yeah, going for the title. That's right. And Mourinho got absolute pelters, didn't he? Oh, he's anti football, he's anti this, anti that. The fact of the matter is, right, Liverpool at Anfield are renowned in the first 20, 25 minutes of games to completely blow away and destroy teams. And I think that season, 
um, against Chelsea. They were 4 0 up at home to Arsenal uh, after 20 minutes, just to put it into a little bit of co- context, as it were. So I'm not too sure what Souness wanted Lampard to do, you know, because if you go and try and, and, and take on Liverpool at their own game, there's only going to be one outcome. So, you know, you, you need to find ways to stay in the game and disrupt the game. And, and I think Everton, particularly in the first half, or even up to, to 60 minutes, I thought they did it very well. I actually thought they're a little bit, you know, this is probably a little bit of a controversial suggestion because whilst I understand and I agree that the substitutions changed the game to an extent, they're actually I felt there were actually more individual mistakes that led to the goal. So. Yeah, no, we'll get to that. I, I did think, um, I thought Everton played really well. I thought the game plan was correct. Um, although it was only 17% possession, I thought they had some really good opportunities. Potentially, they should have had a, pen- a clear penalty. Um, so, I, I did think the game plan was well, going well for, think, from Lampard. What, one thing that Everton did obviously try and do, when they did win the ball back, particularly in their own half, because that's obviously where they were camped for a lot of the time, they would, they, they, the next intention was always to go forward, whether that was with a dribble or whether it was with a pass. So, they were trying to... To, to get in behind Liverpool as quickly as possible. And I thought one th- there's one thing that also really stuck out for me. And I think it was in the first half. Everton had a corner uh, on the left side. The corner's come in. I don't, instantly, I, I don't know for sure, OK, because we'd have to ask uh, the Everton players or, or the manager. But I don't think Everton stood a chance of scoring from that situation just because of the difference in, in height or whatever, you know. And I think they understood that the ball would be cleared and it was on this particular occasion. And it's gone... It's picked up in the um, centre circle by, I can't remember which Everton player it was now. Liverpool then obviously got a right on the, you know, sprinting up the pitch, trying to put pressure on the ball, stop that ball coming straight back at them. It's gone back to Pickford, who's outside his box. And to be fair to Pickford, he, he can pick out some great long passes. And because Liverpool, they, they pressed up, sprinted up quickly. There was then a lot of space behind the back line, which Pickford then put one in behind. And I think it was uh, Gordon. Anthony Gordon. It? Yeah, he he uh, he, he dived. He, he actually got into the box and looking for a penalty, wasn't he? That yeah. he was that he was rightly booked for. But I thought little things like that was was clever from Lampard. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But one thing I wanted to ask Gerard, I actually thought Everton Everton's pressing was pretty impressive. Um, getting out to Liverpool, disrupting their play. Um, how hard is it to press like intensely and when you you are concentrating on that low block and especially against a team of Liverpool, I feel like when you're leaving your spaces, you're going to create more space. But it seemed like they were pressing intently but still kept their structure really well. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, it's very difficult to go up against a team at Liverpool, just as Hugo said, because, you know, look at the bloody quality they've got. <laughs> you know, when you think about how, you know, Cater, Fabinho, Thiago, Mane, Salah, uh, Jota, th- these were the players that were in the first half, right? You've got Trent and, and Robertson, who were probably some of the best, if not the, you know, fullbacks in the modern game, their ability to, to impact the game higher up the field, as well as their impact and effectiveness defensively is outstanding. You know, Trent, his ability to, with Robertson as well, play round the block, play through pressure, switch the point of attack. There was times where Trent would hit diagonal balls, more so in the second half later on. Um, so if you're going to be pressing against those sort of players, and obviously Van Dyke's got an ability to, to find players, you know, 
I think it's it's difficult, isn't it? And you've got to, for me, their strategy was more like we've got to remain very disciplined, very compact, reduce the space in between lines, prevent Liverpool from being able to play through us, but find ways that Liverpool Liverpool can play around or to the side. So even if you look at, um, for example, and Hugo's touched on this, times when they could get in around the final third, you know, you had, I think, is it Mykolenko, uh, who was up against Salah and other players. It was, they've just nullified them. You know, Alan was very dif- uh, disciplined. Uh, Decore was, was disciplined in terms of, you know, typical movements from Liverpool, whether Thiago and, and Keita or Thiago and, and Fabinho would, would come off angles to try and uh, build the attack. And, and play in front of the block. And they would press and then force the ball backwards and then drop back into their slot. And, you know, uh, it was Rich Alson who was their number nine. He's wearing number seven. You could see that his distances, whether it was in a mid block or a low block, were that he wouldn't go any wider than the width of the centre circle. And he would operate within those sort of areas and lines. And then as they get lower and lower and deeper, obviously they had all 11 players behind the box and uh, in the, in around their penalty area, Everton's penalty area, they had all 11 players behind the ball. So I think discipline, uh, patience, concentration, and then obviously the energy levels to, you know, if the ball is forced backwards to have to step up and go press those triggers, it's difficult because it's demanding a lot, uh, not just physically, but more cognitively because you have to be disciplined. You have to switch on. Um, you have to look for the type of movements that, that players are making, you know, whether it's Salah, who I think they're nullified at times, um, Mane, who would obviously get frustrated and he's coming short to receive. Trent would want to try to to join forward like he typically does. So again, they've got to be disciplined in thinking, where's the ball going to go? Who's the who's the key player? When do I need to pass somebody on? And that's normally when mistakes happen when you switch off and there's a little gap, you know, because that's the objective of Liverpool is. How do we disrupt their block and create space? So we've got to move the ball and keep possession of the ball in order to create those gaps in. And sometimes they did it, didn't they? You know, you had Mane who uh, twisted and turned. I think he got a shot off in the first half uh, quite cleverly around probably like the 20th minute, a little long shot. Um, there was other times where they'd find players and, and play through their press. But yeah, it was, it was great to see. Now, when it comes to the substitutions, Hugo, I'm interested to know your thoughts on the goal. But Klopp brings on Luis Diaz and uh, Diva Corrigi. Um, what, what do you think changed the game in terms of those substitutions? He's brought, he's brought in an extra offensive player. He's kind of gone 4-2-4 four, four now. Um, was it just the extra bodies that they needed to get the breakthrough? Or did you think there was an Everton... Lack of concentration or mistake that led to the first goal. Yeah, I th- well, don't get me wrong. The the second second forward gave the two Everton centre half something else to do because rather than marking one uh, striker, they're now marking two. But if you look at the first goal, um, when the ball came into the box, the centre halves Holgate and Keane were both marking the same player. Nobody was picking up Robertson at all. Uh, he, he had a completely free header, what from six seven yards out, which for me. Uh, is a huge mistake on Everton's part. And then if you look at the second goal, uh, it's a corner, isn't it? It's cleared. Um, Liverpool pick up the, the second ball. I couldn't, I 
I can't remember which player it was, but if you if you press pause, which I did, um, as Liverpool picked up the ball, there was an Henderson. Everton player much, yep. much deeper in the six-yard box than everybody else. All right? Um, and then, again, there was a ball to the back post. If you look, they, they didn't know where... I can't... Again, I don't know who got the, the knockdown, okay? Um, but then... So there was that was the second error. So the first error was somebody playing too deep and playing everybody on side anyway. The second error for me was um, not knowing where the play at the back post was. And then the third one was obviously they didn't track the run of Origi. He just ran off somebody and, 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 and put the ball in the net. So whilst I think they these are errors, and I don't I think these errors are committed throughout elite football and all around the world at every level and every country, you know, um, I, I, I do think don't get me wrong, I do think that having the second striker played its role because it's a, something else the centre-halves to do. Uh, as I said, marking two now instead of one. Uh, but for me, not picking people up in your box, marking space rather than men, um, leads to a lot of goals for me. So I don't think it matters really what formations people play or systems or styles of play. If you mark space and you don't mark your man and, you, and uh, you're not sure where he is for a split second, they're going to score. I agree with all that. I think it's just interesting, isn't it? I mean, you look at, as you said, you, that first goal, obviously, it's interesting to look at Diaz. When he's come on, he was electric for me. Like, he, he was wanting to run at people, drive and slide, drive and shoot, which was a huge difference. Origi, you know, if you look at the, the stats, he scored 11 goals as a sub, which is interesting. He's also scored the most goals against Everton out of any other Liverpool player. You know, they've made subs around the 59th minute two minutes later they've scored you know yeah. and, and as you said like Robertson at the back post I even think maybe it might have been Jota I'm not quite sure I think it was Jota who, who originally jumped and the ball's gone over his head and he might have even been like a bit of a, a distraction because he was in between Coleman and the other defender mm. and obviously Robertson was on the back and you know as you said Hugo you, people probably don't realise this but you look at the substitutes obviously Henderson's come on as a sub Within, again, a few minutes, he's making an impact. So he's playing forward passes. They'd actually picked up the ball. Even before the corner, Henderson's got the ball. He's actually played a pass down the outside, trying to look forward into Salah. Obviously, they've combined. It's led to a corner. From the corner, they've picked up the second ball. And obviously, they've found the way to getting it back in. And uh, as you said, it's just, you know, it's interesting. You know, Henderson's played it back in. You got Diaz, who's tried to do a spectacular shot, I think, and obviously it's led on to uh, into Origi's there. So, again, round what was it? Round the eighty fifth minute. Mm. Even if you look in the second half, there was ten corners for Liverpool. Ten corners. Yeah, Everton had zero. Yeah, I saw that. That's huge. That's it's just they were yeah. just constantly in there, weren't they? So well, yeah. I think I think this is all the thing, though, isn't it? And, and I've got a feeling it might be something that's brought up in a little bit. But when you're playing against the team that is is compacting spaces, you know, in their own third and stuff. The more balls you put into the box, the more questions that you keep asking, whether it be from corners, crosses, free kicks. Eventually, something usually more times than not is going to go your way. Whether something drops to somebody or somebody, as I've pointed out, makes a mistake. Um, you just, I think, to, to be fair to Liverpool, they kept asking questions, and and you are right, by the way, about the substitutes in the sense that all that did is just put more people in their box. Yeah, I think it was quite a decisive decision from Klopp because 
the way the game was going, they could have had a penalty. It was quite tense in the ground, and that first goal was was vital. Um, okay, let's talk a bit more now about the coaching and and what and a low block. Hugo, you mentioned low block isn't something that you would use um, maybe in your vocabulary, but what what how do you interpret what a low block is? Well, look, you know. Um... I, I, I do understand what it means. I am being a little bit mischief, mischievous, all right? Um, it's just a little bit non-contextual for me in the sense that, well, you know, what's a mid-block, what's a high block? It's, it could be anything, couldn't it? So you, you have to give a description of what it looks like for us to completely visualise it, all right? Which, which, to be fair to Gerard, he did very, very early on in the conversation. Um so regarding the low the, the low block and that's what we'll continue to call it as that's uh, obviously in the title of the um of the, of the conversation what, what do you want to know what the advantages of it the dis- disadvantages yeah. of it what would you say the well, are the well, advantages think, and disadvantages well, well listen a lot's going to depend on 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 various things for me you know i don't think i think a lot of it's to do first of all with the abilities and disability you know the inabilities of your own players it's always going to depend on the opponent um, you know whether you think you're going to have more uh, possession, uh, or you think they're going to have more possession. It might be the fact that, well, you feel that um, against certain teams. Well, if we if we uh, have a low block, um, you know, we invite them forward. It leaves a lot of space in behind them because we might have players whose abilities are more suited into running in behind. Uh, but for me, it, it varies from opponent to opponent. If, if I'm comp- for completely honest with you, because if I'm going to develop my team's playing style to be that type, um, well, then if I'm playing against another team that I know I'm going to have more of the ball, then then does that not then um, ask alternative questions? So I, I completely get why Everton would do this, and I completely get why Chelsea did it all those years ago. There's times even with my team would go, do you know what? We know we're going to have way less of the ball than the other team because our abilities and inabilities are different to theirs. And so you, you have to uh, alter your, your your plan for that particular game. So I'm not sure if it's the right answer or not, but for me, it, it just depends on a lot on, on your own players and who the next opponent is. No, that's good, mate. That's good. That's Gerard, one thing I wanted to mention, and I, I can't remember who mentioned it earlier, but the distances for me is something that really intrigues me. Um, and Klopp mentioned it in his post-match talking about Liverpool didn't do well enough getting in behind. There was space in behind uh, even Everton's back line. But what are the key distances when playing a low block? And how would you go about coaching it? Obviously, it'll depend on your your profile and your personnel, your players that you've got. And, you know, you typically look at how they defended low blocks. They were trying to reduce the space in between lines, right? Deny space behind because they were dropping deeper and deeper and deeper. And there was even a period in the second half prior to the substitutions where I'd have to look at the stats. I don't, I don't know what it is, but if we were to measure it, obviously the width of the 18-yard the box, they, they probably were much wider than that at times. And even the distance in between the units, whether you got your back four, times it might animate into a five, but typically your back four and then the, 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 the midfield unit in front. And obviously uh, Richardson was their outlet as a one probably within five, maybe eight yards, could even be less at times in between. So it's very difficult because if you think you're playing against teams that are really narrow and really compact and they're actually 
very tight the spaces in between, that's where it's difficult for Liverpool to to thread those passes through, which they've tried, but it's very difficult to find that free player in in the jungle, if you like. That's why you've got to go around them. And I think to train it, you, you create an environment what would look like that. You know, I'd be very interested to know, obviously, what the, the match prep will look like. And this is an area of expertise for, for Hugo, of course. And, uh, you know, I would say, I'd imagine they'd probably add an anticipation of how Frank would set up against them. Liverpool tend to focus more on their strengths as opposed to the opposition from you know, people that we've had speak on courses that I've ran with Oshan, where Liverpool have come in, they'd typically say, you know, we, we want them to worry more about us than us about them. But I imagine, and obviously their principles, but I imagine, you know, they'd have designed practices or you could design a practice that is within those diameters, that, that those dimensions. So you're recreating that low block, you're managing the opposition and then you obviously you're trying to, find the solutions against that problem so in training you would you'd create the environment really representative to what it looks like in a game or what it will look like what you anticipate same distances same dimensions and then it's all right how do we how do we unlock this and i think in training it could look like you know to to work on the defensive block giving incentives to the opposition so it might be you're saying things like you know every two minutes that you go without conceding that's a point when you intercept the ball and you counter to find Richarlson or to find Decore, who's making a forward run or whoever it may be, that's if we score in those those areas or that counter goal, it deducts one goal off the opposition's tally. Because now you're making it super, super competitive and really difficult for the attacking team. So you're trying to represent the, the level of complexity and difficulty that they're going to face. Because it was tough, let's be honest. Liverpool have had to go around 60 minutes, 70, you know, before they've scored. So Everton have done well. So that that's, you know, deserves encouragement. And like Hugo said, they've they were aggressive, they've committed free kicks, they've uh, fouls, they've they've done other little tactics to to try and disrupt Liverpool's strength and their threat. Um equally on the attacking side, it could be something like the number of passes you make equals the number of goals you score. So if you look at the amount of possession Everton, uh, sorry, Liverpool had, that could be that you know, you're know you not cheap in your possession, you're not wasting possession, but you're trying to cash in. And when you do cash in, so if they made five passes, six passes, however, in a training session, the score, that's how much it's worth. But remember, the defending team get a point for every, a goal for every two minutes they don't concede. So that's motivation for them. If they do counter and score, which is what you want, again, that deducts one goal off the tally. So you could make it. You could end up finding that the attacking team, if they do find it too easy and they're, they're breaking the defensive low block, their score is high. But then it gives the motivation for the defending team to reduce that score and the deficit. And actually, they may end up finishing that practice with a higher score than the attacking team. So it just recreates the demands of the game for both teams. So the key is managing the opposition to to create the problem that you want your team to to be able to solve. And there's some of the things I would do as strategies, you know, and again, making it really representative of that level of difficulty. But then if you look on the offensive side, look at the players have brought on. Henderson, forward passes into the penalty area, early entries into the penalty area, early entries down the outside of the block. You know, you've got Diaz, 
drive and slide, drive and shoot, the ability to run at people and try and get entries into the penalty area, into the box. So as a coach, you could even say things like that. You could say, how can we probe and find? So probe the opposition. You know, there's a great phrase Hugo used earlier, ask questions. So you, you, you work on your team to ask questions, which is great from the, the coach who's working with the defending team because he's giving you problems to solve on that sense. You know, do we press? If we go, who drops in? How do we stay compact? Where are we going? You know, that type of thing. So that's how I would sort of train all those principles. An alternative idea as well is, and I, I have done this in the past, um, well, I'll overload one team. So, um, you know, I might use half or three quarters of a pitch, whatever, depending on, on, on what's what on the, on the occasion. But I might have, um, you know, goalkeeper and seven outfield players and the other team's got a goalkeeper and nine or two or nine outfield players. And I'll create the situation. I'll say, look, listen, this is the first 10 minutes of a game. Uh, or it could be the fact that you're one nil up with eight minutes to go. Can you see it out? You know, so you're creating situations. So it's almost like you're rehearsing stuff. So if we, if I know we're going to play a team that's, for example, that is like Liverpool at home and tries to blow people away. So in, there's quite a few of them in, in my division in, in teams like Stockport or Wrexham or teams like that. So I might set up in training and go, listen, first eight, ten minutes, because obviously I don't want to over, over, overload the players. But I might just go, listen, if you can get to eight minutes with a zero, and what it tends to do, it, it the players tend to start to understand the requirements of what's coming at them in the next game. Brilliant examples there. Thank you both. Um, yeah, some really good stuff there. I just wanted to ask one more before we move on to the listener Q&A. But have you got any advice, Hugo, to maybe coaches going into maybe a game against a, a team who've got more quality and how they can prepare how they can prepare their team maybe not so much a session but maybe mentality wise well first of all you have to completely understand your opponent you know you have to identify their key characters you have to identify um things that happen often um you know repeatedly um you know so and and then you've got to learn and understand how how you nullify them, and you have to think about, as I said before, the, about what your players are good at and what they're not good at. You might change personnel in your team because they may be suited more to something than something else. But I think that you've got to always ask yourself the question as well: Why why are you thinking about doing this? Um, you know, but just also touching just briefly back on on understanding your opponent. You know you have to also understand how to manipulate their strengths and weaknesses. So what, what I mean by that is that if they're very good at something, so for example, if we take, for uh, I don't know, Salah, you know, we know that Liverpool, one of Liverpool's strengths is giving Salah the ball wide right. For example, a team that you're playing may, may be less um, venomous, dangerous, whatever you want to call it on the other side. So maybe my team would then be, we'd, we think about forcing play down the weaker side, but also to also to think about where they're weak. So when you've touched on things about when you win the ball back, is there a certain defender that maybe we can we can expose, manipulate? Um, particularly with a team if you're if you're defending deep and the other team's very you know, they're all in your half and stuff. Well who who who's not so good at running back towards their goal? Who's not so good in the other team one v one defensively against a, a good forward player? So my advice is basically just can you can you understand your opponent and also understand the strengths and weaknesses of your own players 
And that's not something that you can do in five minutes. It requires a lot of reflection. It gets easier over time the more that you understand your team. Um, and then you know you, you make your plans from there. Whatever you do, don't please go on YouTube and watch, uh, I don't know, Leicester City, how they do it and think that because that's how Leicester do it. I'm going to go onto my training pitch and that's how I'm going to do it because they've got a completely different set of circumstances, players, abilities. Um, and I, I hope that kind of makes sense. So you've got to try and learn to think on your own two feet, bearing in mind your own team as well. Um, OK, let's get our first question up. Hello, Tris. You OK, mate? Hey, Ben. How are we all doing? Yeah, good, mate. Have you got a question or a point you wanted to make? Yeah, just a quick one for Hugo, Gerard, and everybody else listening. If you were Frank Lampard yesterday, how would you have set up against Liverpool? In all honesty, if that was me going to Liverpool yesterday and I'm Frank Lampard, I, I would have been thinking very much along the same lines. Definitely along the lines more of, um, you know, can we stay in the game? Can we keep it at nil? Can we slow the game down? You know, I probably would have done a little some different things on set plays because when you get your opportunities to put the ball in the box or to get a shot off from free kicks or corners, um, I might have had a little trick up my sleeve, something like that, which I didn't see Everton have. Whilst I did touch on the way Everton did attack a corner, go all the way back to Pickford to then expose space that had been created in behind. I thought that was smart. But in terms of just three kicks around the box and stuff, because Everton were always going to be looking for that kind of uh, opportunity to, to get free kicks, I, I probably would have... I'm not saying that Lampard didn't, because I don't know for sure. But for me, I would have certainly analysed the way that Liverpool defend certain situations. And could I create something which could mean that I create a goal-scoring opportunity for my players. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I probably would have, in hindsight, it's hard for me to ask, answer because obviously we're not working at that level. So I don't know all the other intricacy details that will go into those factors, but I'd probably have set up very similar. I think the defensive organisation was good because it clearly disrupted Liverpool from being able to score early on. And it took them a while to, to have to be able to change it in the second half as we've analysed. I'd probably have done maybe some work with how can we utilise our strengths better. So Jordan Pickford at times, certainly in the first half, whether the ball was on transition or other, you know, we've regained it, he's got the ball played back to him. He's got one hell of a range of pass, you know, and, and he can pick people out. And there was a couple of times where he picked out Gordon on the outside. He tried to pick out Richarlson. It didn't quite work. He might have gone out of play for a throw-in or whatever. I'd have probably... Um, agree with Hugo. Definitely take advantage of set piece situations because we've all seen the impact that that goals can have on games from set pieces, and the, the equation from goals scored from set pieces. I'd have probably used Pickford in his range. Um, if we regain the ball in certain areas, how do we counter attack? Whether it's through Pickford or whether it's through wherever we've intercepted the ball, what strategies have we got to counter um, and counter quickly? rather than just being constantly in a low block. And obviously, because we've got everyone behind the ball, we've only really got one or two outlets. And then it's how do we be able to be to project our attack? So there's different types of counter-attack, isn't there? And I'd have probably gone into some of those strategies around how do we counter against a team like that, knowing that there's going to be certain space in certain areas. Because Liverpool will typically try to dominate territory in your half. And because we're defending so low, 
their centre backs are going to be very high in in Matip and Vidic. Robertson and, and uh, Trent are obviously going to have high positions. Robertson's always going to try to where he can, as he did in the goal, be inside the penalty area and attack the, the box. Which then tells me that is there going to be space in other areas that we can exploit on, on transition? And certainly the distances from where their back line is to where their goalkeeper is, that's a lot of yards of space. So then are we have we got any players in our team, similar to how you know PSG will play at times, where we might play players not necessarily as deep in a low block, but actually a bit higher or in between. So we've got that ability to project the counter-attack and get at the, the, the defence of Vidic and what have you and expose them. That's probably how I would have looked to. But it, again, it depends on individual quality, you know, what you've got in your <laughs> in your team it's, on your own. It's roster. easier said than done, isn't it, Gerard? Exactly. 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 That's it for this week. But if you are a coach yourself, you may be interested in our very own coach education platform, CV Academy. Aimed at coaches at all levels of the game, it helps them develop through premium coach-focused content delivered by a growing network of elite academy and grassroots coaches. You'll find loads of great content on there, including our latest coaching webinar with the former Bristol City and Sunderland head coach, Lee Johnson. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and we'll be back next week with more top-level coaches analysing the biggest talking points in the elite game and sharing best coaching practices, advice and insights. If you want to join the next CV Spaces Live, then drop us a follow on Twitter at Coach's Voice. And lastly, a big thank you to our guest speakers, Hugo and Gerard, and thanks to everyone who listened in.